All right, here we go. Are we ready? I, I guess. guess. <laughs> Welcome to M Vibes Podcast. Home of good music, good libations, and good vibes. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Amanda. I'm Eric. Javier. So, um, what's everybody been up to this week? What are we drinking today? Oh, um, something new. Uh, Cider Boys Raspberry Smash. All right. Mixing it up a little bit. Yeah, something new over here in Tommy's. Coco. Um, I am back on the pitch side pills and with a uh, side shot of uh, um, Powers. Mm. Oh, there you go. I'm actually uh, <clears throat> drinking something fairly interesting, actually. Uh, I can't tell the name of the beer is Brew Has Brew IPA or Shiner Tex Hex. Regardless, it's a uh, an IPA brewed with cactus water, and it's pretty phenomenal by um, by Shiner, which, again, we've discussed this in previous episodes. I love Shiner beer in general. I don't care what anybody says. 7% ABV. So oh, I'm, wow. I'm, I'm, I'm and you gave me a sip of that. I would have never thought it was that high ABV. Yeah, no kidding. And I am complimenting that with about <laughs> oh. two ounces of Basil Hayden. Oh. So, what about you, Ernest? What are you, what are you doing today? Uh, I'm also doing the Basil Hayden. So, cheers. Let's cheers. Think, think. Cheers, cheers. Cheers, think, cheers. Think, oh, drink, drink. Yeah, you already, you already drank <laughs> cheers. You already reached your yeah, quota. You, you actually did a shot, so yeah. yeah. There we go. I stuck with Jameson. Uh, I'm also doing the pitch side pills in honor of our new MLS club, FC Charlotte, here in Charlotte. So. I still haven't made it to a game. Me neither. I Which either. ironically is weird because I'm Mexican, so we live for soccer. And <laughs> Hannah, my girlfriend, is British, and she fucking lives for soccer. So wait, like, wait, wait, you're Mexican? A little bit. Really? I had no idea. A top hat. And I thought you were Scottish. No, it's actually Irish. That's oh. not. That's, oh, I thought it was German. No, it's not, that's not actually a joke. I am. There's Irish blood in our family. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was Polish. Sorry. I mean, how many six two Mexicans like Ma- have you met? It's like Mariah Carey. You're the only six There's foot a bunch two Mexican I've ever met. Yes, Mexicans that so. are wrestlers. So I mean, yeah. Well, I you know I haven't been to a match either, and my son's a pretty good soccer player. Yeah, so. yeah. I forgot so. about that. So yeah, I don't know. I, I do want to play it. with him someday. He's, he's he's getting there. I'm super excited that we have the the MLS team now. I mean, I I you know because my my full time job actually is their uh, founding sponsor. So. You're right, Alan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and also, let's not forget. You know, Noda has always been a big supporter of uh, Charlotte Independence, yep. which is a, another semi-pro who dropped down to uh, USL one this season. So, how did they? Yes. Are the Charlotte Hounds still around the lacrosse club? Uh, yeah, actually, I think they are. Okay. I hadn't thought about that in years. I know. Yeah, yeah and and I, the I, Sting are still around too, aren't they? Where do they play? Yeah. Well, Charlotte Hounds and the was Charlotte in- Eagles. The they Beagles were at uh, Grady yeah. Cole, not Grady Cole, um, the outdoor stadium by Grady Cole. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm just trying to destroy everything. What the hell just happened over here? I, I knocked over <laughs> Javier's mic and he spilled his beer trying to recover. <laughs> Which is what happens when we record two episodes in a row. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding this is a totally different thing yeah, right I, this I, is I wore a different shirt for this one uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, no, you changed. just took off your jacket oh that's right jacket off 
Uh, moving along. Oh, yeah. So, um, what have we been kind of up to lately? Um, nothing. Not a damn thing. Well, I bought some tickets for um, the, uh, oh, live, the Live Nation special yeah. $25 deal thing. Oh, that's right. It, it actually lasts until tomorrow. Tomorrow's so. the last day. Oh, so we have chance to buy day. more stuff. I'm going to. Yeah, I bought. I don't um, think we. I don't think any yep. of us match any other shows. Like we all just bought random shit, and none I, of us no, like, I overlapped think, anything. I think we all bought tickets for Jack White, right? Yes. No, I didn't get tickets no. for Jack White because I mean, I'm, I'm going to be in Asheville. Uh, I'm looking well, at these suck. shows though, and and when I came to get the twenty five dollar tickets, I'm looking at the seats that I want. I'm like, oh wait it's a minute, like once it's yeah. not twenty five dollars. You're not going to go and like yeah. give him a blowjob or anything. Twenty five dollars <laughs> all in my ass. <laughs> Whoa, wait a minute. Wait, what? That's all what it the costs? Fuck? <laughs> <laughs> are you going to have to change you the are, rating for our. You're a cheap yeah, date, This was going to be a clean episode rating. <laughs> Ernest is a cheap date. Yeah. You can take no, him to Taco actually, Bell and. Actually, never no, mind if you're no, not for. Actually, no, I'm not. Um, that's why I wanted the, <laughs> I wanted the better tickets. Yeah, um, we're gonna so have to not, polish a lot of that. Out. I'm gonna no, hold, I'm gonna hold out. Yeah. That all you stays in. You can't polish a turd. No. Oh. oh wow. <laughs> Hi, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> no, I bought. Um, you can certainly try Wu Tang Clan and Nas, mm. uh, Jack White and Flog and Molly and the Interrupters and Leon Bridges. Oh yeah, I think I got a Leon Bridges too. Yeah, I need, I need to go back and get those and the Flogging Molly tickets. I was just kind of yeah. like, the do flogging. I really want to spend two hundred dollars in one day? Well, that's the thing, you know right? Though, like twenty five dollars a piece sounds great, but when you buy three, four, five, six shows, yeah. Like, I was asking my wife, I'm like, are you sure you want to go? <laughs> <laughs> She's like, yeah. I'm like, okay. Yeah. yeah well, mm-hmm. other than that, I actually the only other thing I have really is. Which you guys are probably gonna be like fucking idiot. Um, we have symf- uh, we have uh, tickets to the symphony. They're playing uh, the ninth uh, Beethoven's ninth, which is my favorite. Oh, no, nice. that, no that amazing. sounds amazing. Beethoven's ninth is the no. That's gonna be good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, now is that the uh, candlelight? No, this is, is the just... Charlotte Symphony. Oh, Orchestra. I love that yeah. candlelight series yeah, they're doing. Are I keep great. trying to. Um, that's I mean at the to park, buy, right? Yeah. yeah, I mean to yeah. buy yeah. tickets for uh, that. Yeah, I bet that one. Yeah, I've been free. to. Uh, yeah, the Four Seasons, Vivaldi's the Four Seasons. Yeah, yeah. We went oh, to see that's that one of my favorite. Mm-hmm. And we went to see. Uh, 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 shit, Haydn. Something can't remember. Hide and right? Yes, that one. Sure. There you go. Yeah. Um, well, if this gives any, any insight to how my brain works and where my musical taste goes, I the tickets I bought were the Chicks and Wasp. You know what? I was, I was very <laughs> tempted to buy uh, Wasp. I need to buy mine because I told Mike Phillips I would go with them to go see Wasp. So, yeah. Well, I've got I've got an extra with a no with no takers. I'll, so, I'll go to Wasp. I, I got you. Yeah, fuck yeah. All, right. All right. I'll go to Wasp. Yeah, yeah. okay. So, and, it's, it's and still I want Blackie, Blackie, Blackie Lawless. Lawless is, is it? Yeah, yeah. Still, he's yeah. still there. Yeah. Awesome. Um, but I wanted to take my sister to see the chicks because it's kind of like, you know, us being little 90s girls, like, listen to that. <laughs> you know what, though? Those chicks can play. Like, right. You can make fun of that all day, but they are incredible musicians. And Natalie Maines has a great voice. I Like I said, no guilty pleasures. Me first, and the Gimme Gimme did a great cover of Goodbye Earl. I love their cover of that song. 
Cool. I'm not saying play it, but I'm saying yeah, we're not playing it. Check it out. Yeah, we're someday. not. Yeah, we weren't yeah. even considering that. Uh, well. <laughs> not on the radar. Kiss my ass. <laughs> so Anyways. should we just get back to What's what this episode we're about? actually here to this talk is about? Seven. <laughs> See that intro went off the rails. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, we're in episode seven now. I want to yeah. say no, eight, eight, episode eight. Episode is it eight? eight? Yes, episode. All eight. right, we we lost count. Sorry. When do we not go off the rails? Yeah. It's part of our charm. It's part of our podcast, man. We go off the rails. Um, yeah. So today we're actually talking about um, the mother of MP3. Um, she lives on the second floor. Yes. Wait, she what? lives upstairs from you. <laughs> upstairs. From- <laughs> she puts herself through college a certain way. I don't think you've heard her before. <laughs> Just Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, so yeah, uh, th- uh, the episode today, um, it's, it's, it's something that I recently found out actually it, not like, um, I've known about this forever, even though this has been around since the late eighties, early nineties. Um, but, uh, recently, uh, I was told that Susan Vega, who I love tremendously, actually, I've always enjoyed her music, uh, even post her, you know, peak to fame was considered the mother of MP3s. Huh. Um, so that's interesting. That's what we're going to talk about today. I mean, primarily a lot about Suzanne Vega and kind of like where she comes from, what she's done, and then kind of how she earned that name. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to thank you for that because I had no idea about this information until you presented it as, a, as an idea for a podcast. And I realized I've really been sleeping on Suzanne Vega. Oh, yeah. Her voice is amazing. And, I mean, I know her songs. I know her music. Like, I've listened to her casually, but... I, I've been going more in a, and I think you might have created a super fan <laughs> because I've, I've started going more of a deep dive into her history and what she right. what she's recorded in the past. Mm-hmm. It's like, man, she's prolific. Yes. And it, it totally underrated. And it's not actually just like decided to one day write a fucking song and hit like she has history with other like well, we'll go over it. But yeah, I mean, she belonged to a, a, a collaborative um or, you know, of artists, like, like a right. collection of artists. See, that- I only knew the two big songs of hers. I've never listened to anything else but that, so. Yeah, it's really good stuff. Yeah. I've always loved her voice, but <clears throat> MP3, to me, as a music purist, that compression algorithm just. But for the time. Line wire. It was the best. Yeah. <laughs> like it was kind of Napster. Like- Napster. Absolutely. Right. When I think MP3, I'm like, oh, yep, Napster started yeah. that shit so you could download more. Yeah. But, you know, and that's funny you F- say you that because Napster work. came almost 10 years after the MP3. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. That. yeah. It was, it was yeah. around for quite a while, but yeah. it did not supplant uh, CDs until much later. Right. Yeah. Right. So I guess we'll kind of get the Wikipedia level stuff out of the way, kind of like the way you and I were talking about. It. This is some Wikipedia level research at first. But, <laughs> I mean, you, you got you got to get that stuff out well, of the I way. Well, I mean, right? that's the first thing you go to when you're right. you're initially, and then you try to find the, other right. sources based on that. That's where the facts are. Like, no matter where you research, that's 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 what it's going to be the same. So you know, Susan Vega was born on July 11, 59, and you were fascinated that she was what. A cancer, a Sagittarius, a Libra, a, a cancer, thing? a cancer. You know, from- we don't have to bring astrology. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we can because you know I have the same birthday as Mick Jagger. There you go. I'm- you got the moves like Jagger. You know I do, baby. All right. You've seen this in action. No, you're on the right. dance floor. Yeah, I did. 
So she was born in 59 in Santa Monica, California. Her father was German Swedish and her mother was Scottish, English, and Irish. So I've always wondered where that last name came from, right? Her name was her stepfather, right? Vega, right. So that's not necessarily a German, Swedish, Irish, Scottish (laughs) name. Not at all. all. Um, So obviously her parents divorced when she was very, very, very young. And her mother remarried a uh, Puerto Rican man who was a teacher and a composer um, and uh, uh, just, you know, all around just smart man. Um, then when they were about two, they moved to Spanish Harlem, uh, in the upper West side of New York, where that's where she grew up. Uh, she actually didn't even meet her biological father until her late twenties. Didn't even know that the man who gave her her last name was not her biological father until she was around nine. Wow. That's so that's kind of cool. Yeah. I guess. I don't know. Was it kept a secret on, on purpose or was it, I mean, I guess we don't know. I didn't know know their mom. Yeah, so probably have to be find that out. <laughs> mom probably didn't want, and maybe dad yeah. was not a good person. So mom, maybe I, I don't maybe, know. Yeah. I, I did read that. Um, well, she didn't meet him till then, but I mean, till this day, they have a really good relationship. And a I, really I saw that yeah. too. That like she is in contact with him yeah. now, and they reconnected later on in life. But yeah, so I, I don't know. I mean, there, there's not a whole lot of information about this gentleman. I don't know. So I, I mean, no maybe idea. if Suzanne Vega comes on the podcast, we can ask her about it. <laughs> we should ask her. Not, yeah. not if when. Yeah, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Uh, so I mean, you know, just you know, a lot of people may not be familiar with with her, especially you know, in twenty twenty two. But her career actually spans nearly forty years, uh, from the from the early eighties, actually technically late seventies. Primarily folk inspired, sort of coffee shop type music, really very kind of low tempo acoustic-y stuff, but with a lot of uh, um, other instruments um, kind of strewn in there. She does have a slew of hits from, you know, um, the late 80s all the way to the mid 90s. Um, I think one of the very early ons was uh, Marlene on the Wall. Also left of center, which you said that was the first time. Yeah, you that heard was her. the first exposure yeah. I had from the Pretty in Pink soundtrack. Oh. Right? As, um, that's one of my very favorite movies. I have the soundtrack on vinyl. I've watched that movie so many times I could probably recite it line for line. Um, and, you know, Ducky forever. And I just could shake Andy <laughs> for not picking Ducky and over Andrew McCarthy's character. But whatever. That's neither here nor there. And then the other song that the two songs that people will know her for is Luca and Tom Steiner. Mm-hmm. Um I, I did not know this, to be honest with you, because again, while I do love her music, I think I stopped following her well until the early 2000s. But the last album she released was in 2016. It was called uh, Lover, Beloved Songs from the Evening with Carson McCullers. So I haven't heard it, but um, I'm going to listen to it. I thought she put out something for Record Store Day. Yes, didn't she? Uh, yeah. but there was nothing new. Was oh, it okay. like a reissue? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. That right. was the one that I was looking for. More than any yeah. other album, I went looking for that specifically. In that order were, um, and this last RSD was Susan Vega, The Cranberries, and the Velvet Underground album. Yeah, was, okay. Those were the ones that I really wanted. So, yeah. Um, well, wait till June to get more. No, I, I no, no, that's, no. Yeah. I'm not spending any more money. <laughs> yeah, you are. I will drag you out. No, I will. I will text you the that, day of, and, and he'll say, "Okay, we're gonna go." You know, we're gonna go. <laughs> yeah, I'm so, a bad influence on. Yeah, yeah, yeah three yeah. albums already. Yeah. Incredibly expensive. You, the one who has egged me on. So, 
Um, so Suzanne started her career playing in very small venues around uh, Greenwich Village um, in the late 70s, early early 80s. Eventually became a regular to a group of songwriters and artists at the uh, Cornella Street Cafe, uh, which is um, where they started performing, right? It kind of became one of those, you know, um, cafes where a bunch of um, creatives sort of joined powers and joined forces and started creating together. Um, <clears throat> so with a lot of that independent art flowing around that cafe, the artist eventually formalized as the Songwriters Express. And that's sort of, she became part of that conglomerate of artists. Um, one of the projects that came out of that sort of, um, you know, um, a, a group of, of artists um, was a magazine called Fast Folk magazine which also doubled as a record publisher and a sort of record store and this um was you know i, I think that was a little later like in the mid 80s uh not so much so early on um so some of Suzanne's first songs were published through the fast folk anthology albums uh which also makes her one of the first um artists from that group to to break out when am uh a&m records um I think I've heard that name before. It sounds familiar to me. AM, A&M Records. I don't know. Um, yeah. Offered her first record contract in 1984. Right. Um, so out of all the, I mean, there were a lot of them. And apparently some of those other artists um, are also very well known in, in sort of that, that, that um, circle of, of music. But uh, she's the one who received the first major, major record contract in 84. Um, that actually led to the release of her self-titled debut album in 85, which, you know, that album reached uh, platinum status in the UK. Uh, the video for Marlene on the Wall got some notable airtime on MTV and VH1. That's going to be the first song we're going to listen for them uh, from her. Uh, which has some very interesting topics, some abstract, but still in a very poppy way. So go ahead, Ernest, take that away. Even if I am in love with you, all this to say, what's it to you? Observe the blood, the rose tattoo, or the fingerprints on me from you. Other evidence has shown that you and I are still alone. We skirt around the danger zone and don't talk about it. Oh, we can talk a little bit about how at some point Suzanne Vega had left the music industry. She was in school studying music and then she became a dance student. Oh, I was not aware of that. Yeah. I know she was an English major, but I didn't realize. She did study English lit and then studied music and then got into the dance program. And that was her primary source of expression. Okay. She, that was her, that's really what she was really dedicated to. But she felt that um, she wasn't really accepted by other dancers in the program. And... Became better friends with the musicians who were playing the music for the dancers. Okay, that makes sense. And became more accepted by them, and that's what brought her back into becoming. Which I'm glad. Musician. Oh my God, she's so good at it. Yeah. Um, And the dance school that she went to was the dance school. I can't. The name is going to escape me. You have to. Maybe you have to Google this. That it was the same um, school, the dance school of dance that was um, based on fame. The oh, musical, yeah, the yeah, TV yeah. show, oh, the okay. movie. Starts like with that a B. Was, I can't remember what yeah, it is. Yeah, that was the yeah. school. She was I'm in the dance program at that at that school, and felt more accepted by the 
musicians and they started bringing her out okay. to these open mics and inviting her out to these situations which encouraged her more in her music career forgive me this kind of sounds like to me Liz Liz Fair uh, yeah, so I was saying kind of well I'm sure she yes. influenced yeah. Liz Fair a I'm lot sure, yeah yeah this, so she actually wrote this song about coping with loneliness and finding comfort uh, specifically in that loneliness by looking up at a poster of, of the actress uh, Marlene Dietrich um, I actually had to look up I didn't know who she was uh, just famous actress in the 30s uh, all the way up to the 80s again no idea who she is I'm sure some other people do but I certainly don't um, ironically which is going to be a oh see Ernest knows who she is yeah. um, I know who she is uh, interestingly though uh, which is going to be a common um, theme or, or, or with, with her music is this, she actually did have this poster in real life she uh, did yeah so she actually was a huge fan of Marlene. I think I keep saying Marlene, but it's not Marlena. Yeah, Marlena Dietrich. Uh, just because of the way I speak English, but yeah, um, just a huge fan of, of this. Sorry. What? <laughs> Never mind. Sorry. Um, so once you listen Hush. to the rest of <laughs> bless your heart music. You're about to get kicked under the table. That would involve you standing up, and you're not going to do that right now. So let's just not even play. I can't reach you, Eric sir. is kicking my chair right I'm now. I'm trying to. This is not kindergarten, y'all. Proper room. Talk to him. This song is absolutely gorgeous. I love this song. I'm sorry. I ruined it. Sorry. No. Um, so, yeah. That's what I really like about the way she writes. It's very like free flowing. Like she's just observing and just sketching out and writing out words based on what she's observing around her surroundings. What was the Paul McCartney song that you played during your episode that you said you loved it because he played about mundane things like lighting a cigarette? Oh, oh no, that was that was a day in the life of the Beatles. The Beatles, right? That's what it was. This and, is and what that is. Like, all she writes about primarily is, like, mundane day in, day out that is, she observed. Like, and you, again, it's going to be a recurring team, theme through everything that we're going to listen to. It's going to be things that she just kind of sees and writes about and then sings and makes them fucking ethereal. Like, she was just observing art all around right. her. Like, she was just seeing, like, beauty and all of the simple things. Right. That... She could look at a window and see a bird flying or like somebody like we'll, we'll get into Tom. Or like we'll see later. We'll yeah. Talk, a child Tom, in front of Tom's her. diner yeah. later. Like that was stream of consciousness all day long and like pouring coffee and reading a newspaper. And she just saw the beauty and the art and the feeling and all of that. Right. So, you know, listening to a lot of the rest of her catalog, I'm not even just knowing it, but especially her later um, sort of material. This one specifically uh, seems a little out of tune with with the rest of her things. Seems a little poppier for her. Um, even even down to like some of that theme of looking inspiration up from a poster just seems a little not what she typically does, right? Like oh, I'm looking at a poster, I'm lonely, whatever. But um, but it's still in, in the same vein. It's expressed in a very sort of artistic way, right? In a, in a, in a very abstract way. So from there, obviously, her career just sort of went up. 
Um, in 86, she co-wrote Left of the Center, or Left of Center, I'm sorry, from the Pretty in Pink soundtrack, which that one went to 32 in the UK single chart. And I know you have a special kind of connection oh, with that Oh, yeah, one. That, that, that's one we talked about a, a little bit earlier, because that, that was one of the ones that put her on the radar for me, because I love that movie so much. And that soundtrack is one of the... So all of the John Hughes films had the best soundtracks. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. All of them. Did. All of them. Like Cameron Crowe films and John Hughes films, you can't, like, I just, they just make, soundtracks make me so happy. Like, it's, that's still like the ultimate mixtape for me. I'm more of a, like, a, you know, Blue Velvet sort of. Well, we, we yeah. talked about that on Record Store today. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I love um, uh, Pretty in Pink, and I love all the John Hughes movies and the soundtracks, and that's just sort of how I knew her, but did not know her, right? Um, so I knew about uh, Left of Center, but I didn't know who she was, and, and that name did not ring a bell. I mean, I know a lot of, like, random things that are buying compilation or soundtracks. I'm like, oh, I like that stuff, but I don't care enough to research who it is. I just knew I liked that song, so. Well, I'm with you on that because... I I knew that song from the Pretty in Pink soundtrack, and then I knew Luca, which we'll talk about later. Didn't Left of Center become a box set eventually too, um, with all alternative songs from the eighties? I don't know. I don't know. I, I own it, so yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. Does, yeah. Well, if you own it, Left of Center. Yeah. <laughs> you need to bring that to show and tell. I do. Yeah. Don't formulate yeah. your answer in the form of a question, then, sir. No, I'm sorry. I'll- this ain't Jeopardy. <laughs> I was going to say so. <laughs> you, you can call me Alex right now. I can call you Al? What? Oh. Uh, oh, boy. Anyway. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Whew. Here we go. So, you know, again, this, this kind of made her a small a, a small hit again. I mean, the only thing that, that, that charted was number 32 in the UK single. Uh, but the next album... Uh, which is the one we likely most of us know her from. It's called Solitude in the Middle. That's where she gained mainstream popularity, right? With first the the first song that you mentioned earlier, Amanda, Luca, which was released as a single in 1987. Uh, she that's to this day that's the highest ranking or the highest charting song she's ever had in the U.S., uh, which went all the way up to number three in the Billboard Hot 100. My name is Luca I live on the second floor So not only Luca the charge in the US but obviously it charted all over the world um, this album was also nominated record of the year um, Luca was uh, nominated for song of the year and Suzanne herself for best female pop vocal performance at the 1988 Grammys but it's a little rough to listen to unfortunately and we'll go over that here once we maybe pay attention to the lyrics just a hair you have no idea how often I sing this song and just make up other words to it and no one knows what I'm talking about but I this song's always in my head every day I try not to act too proud And they only hit Until you cry After that You don't ask why You just don't argue Anymore Just don't argue Anymore So Just don't the, um, argue 
The name Luca was a child that actually lived in her apartment complex. Um, but it's not necessarily a true story. But she chose the name Luca because it didn't seem seem like gender or gender specific. Hi, Kate. If you or <laughs> didn't seem gender specific or um, ethnic specific. And she wanted it to sound more universal. And um, turns out that the name Luca in Indonesia, the, I don't know the name, the proper name for the language, um, means a wounded one. Oh. So that's some like, that's some deep. This song's and she didn't know that. She didn't know that. It's basically about child abuse. Though, right? It is yeah, about yeah, child yeah, abuse. Yeah, yeah. So Lucas a little rough. Um, it, it, you know, the song deals with obviously child abuse and sex from the point of view, point of view of the child, the titular child that's being abused, which is Luca. Some of the lyrics mention some of how he has to lie about what he's going through, the bruises on his body. Um, it's funny and like walking into the door or that if you, you know, the listener in essence hears something like a fight upstairs and where he lives above you, just ignore it. Like it's it's fine. Um, he then goes to reassure you that he's okay and um, how he's just going to, you know, he needs to go to a quiet place where things aren't being broken and thrown around all the time. It's a little rough. I mean, especially me being a father and especially people maybe going through something like that. Um, ironically for me, it sang in such a poppy, upbeat style, though. Well, yeah, that was this that isn't was, the normal was, version, though. Is it? This is no, that, no, this is, no. This is the, the version. Okay. That's the normal version, and the the producers decided that they wanted to make it sound more upbeat because the subject matter was so dark mm-hmm. that they needed to kind of like balance it out. So, you know. Um, like a lot of the 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 the, the ongoing themes with her, uh, Luca, it was a real person. Um, there's a, a very definitive um, documentary, and for some reason, Swedish TV and, and Swedish documentaries did a lot of work on 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 her, or a lot of interviews and and, and stories on her. But in '87, there was a Swedish TV special uh, where she said that a group of children who would play in front of her building, uh, one of them was a little distinctive from the rest of them primarily kind of would step aside a little more he was not necessarily always engaged with the group but he was there he was he was part of the group and that little boy's name was luca um she never met him really she didn't know who he was uh she just based the song on him based on that observation which goes back to what we were saying she just observes life and makes art out of it right um to just kind of notice this about that little boy wrote the song about it um the real luca in her opinion probably likely 100% was not approved um, just a little different and that's sort of what her take was on that on that observation in life um, not to say that unfortunately that is a reality for many many children yeah she's a storyteller right exactly yeah yeah she paints through her words and her music what she observes on a daily basis yeah. so I think from that point of view that's a master mark mark master Yes, there you go. That's the word mastery of of your art that I think, you know, it's not very common, especially these days. Right. Right. I think that kind of songwriting is almost gone um, as far as talent goes. Uh, Like a lot of these pop artists, you know, 
most of the songs are written for them and they just go out and perform them. Uh, you have people like Taylor Swift, which writes her own music. Right. And a lot of artists like that, that still exist, but uh, most of it, you really have to dig to find it. So I'm really glad that you brought up Taylor Swift. Yes. Um, because Suzanne Vega is re-recording, did re-record all of her catalog. Oh, really? Yes. I, I, I didn't know that. And so, she yeah. wanted to, I think she, years ago, because she wanted to strip it back down to what she intended and not to have the um, record producers and the record companies controlling. She wanted to, like, do it in this more acoustic, stripped-down kind of way. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if... This Taylor Swift is re-recording all of her pop tracks and re-recording them in a way that it's like a stripped down acoustic way that if she was inspired by Suzanne Vega Uh and you know, when she's on the podcast, we'll ask (laughs) (laughs) not if, but when either or yeah. Yeah. Well, Uh, you know, Taylor Swift kind of started in the, the, country genre yes mm-hmm. and country's always been you know lent itself more to storytelling than oh yeah johnny uh, cash yeah. was the master and, yeah. and and hank williams senior yeah, yeah. and also folk yeah uh yeah. has always been a story which you can genre. argue that johnny cash was more of a folk artist too absolutely absolutely so well you know i think you know especially like with amanda now we've heard a lot of songs and eric uh, um most, I think, the general public and the general mainstream um, music scene um, know her for the song Tom Steiner, right? That's yes. sort of what, even though that's not her biggest song, that's not, Luca is her biggest song. Yes. Uh, Tom Steiner, I think, I is her most popular song. Uh, what's even more, we probably know her not so much from the original version that she sang on her album, but from DNA's remix. But we'll get a little more into that later. We're going to listen to uh, her version, the original a cappella version, right now. At somebody coming in. It is always nice to see you, says the man behind the counter. I want to understand about when she was originally recording this, she she had stripped down just her vocals. And her boyfriend at the time, who was a musician, was like, oh, well, I'll play guitar or put in piano track, but I want royalties. And she's like, no. No. Like, I've worked so hard to record the song. I'm not giving you half my money for you to come in and, like, plunk down a couple of chords. I know it was um, by her own accord, written specifically for voice and piano. We know how I feel about vocals, and this is pure vocal mastery. Yes. You know, I own this on vinyl, and I had no idea this was the original version. Version. I thought the remix was or like the we'll go through that. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I thought that was too. So yeah, I used to play it while we were, we were drinking, and people would say, uh, "You're making me really sad, man." As I'm listening to the bells of the cathedral, I just love her stream of consciousness. I think that's my best. Part. I think that yes, I agree with you. And it has very much a, a jazz timing. Before the rain began. 
And I finish up my coffee and it's time to catch the train. So she wrote Tom's Diner sometime in 1982. And we're about to go into this weird, fascinating little aspect of this. Uh, it was originally published in uh, obviously one of the Fast Folk magazine compilation albums back in 1984. Um, that's back the magazine we talked about earlier. But more interestingly, um, some of the events, which again, we keep going back to, um, you know, sort of some of the events that she writes about are um, sort of part of her real, real, you know, day to day. In this song, notably, the story of the newspaper that dealt with the um, death of the artist who died while he was drinking were actually based on real events. Um, Someone, and I think it was somebody she used to work with back in the cafe, started pulling the pieces together based on clues that appear on the song, such as a newspaper that horse that has horoscopes and comic strips. Apparently, there's only one, two newspapers in New York that have that. Um, also, um, the story about the death of the actor and the timing. Um, so that person, I can't remember, uh, Brian, Brian Rose, uh, I have no idea who the guy is, but apparently he was part of that whole artist group uh, figured out that the actor was William Holden and like Susan Vega I've never heard of that actor either because that's part of her like, she's never heard of that actor either um, she said that was like a running joke between her and her husband is it yeah, yeah. that like if there was a, they were watching a movie and, and the actor was in it he's like oh that's that guy you never heard of yeah so uh, William Holden's body was actually found um, on November 16, 1981. He died after drinking excessively, then slipping and falling to his death. So, that, I mean, that was a real thing that happened in her life. Reading the newspaper, looking for the horoscope, looking for the home, for the uh, the comic strip and the, and the newspaper, and then finding this article. That all was real to her. Like, she experienced that um, uh, to the point where in 2008, so a little over 10 years ago, she confirmed that Holden was the actor that made it to the song. Um, not only that, but obviously um, Tom's Diner was a real restaurant in New York City, which she frequented during college. Um, then went on to gain even more pop culture um, status at Monk, as Monk's Cafe, which was where the Seinfeld gang hung out in the Seinfeld show. Right. We've all seen that show. So um, yeah, that became the set for the, when they would hang out yeah. and have their lunch. And exactly. So Tom Steiner actually went on to chart in Ireland, the UK, Denmark, Sweden, uh, but never here in the States. Like just never. We all just sort of ignore the song. Um, yeah. So that's where that happened. Um, but with all that said, I think that's sort of, you know, kind of like a, a, a preempted story of what really is the episode about, uh, which is, you know, her being called the mother of, mp3 and you know for those who are not aware or too young mp3 was likely the most commonly available file format for audio encoded data uh to this day i mean we have mp4s now right um mm -hmm. so um and unless you were downloading mp1s or mp2s which i've never heard of unless you guys right. have i mean mp3 no, I was the no, no thing, clue. Right? i downloaded shit like crazy so right. yeah. but it was all mp3 <laughs> right whatever mp1 right. to or mp1 i mean but those it, things did exist but back then it also helped me find other bands like bands i would i hadn't heard of before there's type in their name and find something to download right uh i think that's how a lot of people i'll probably discovered Susan Vega at right. some point because back then there was a lot of like spin magazines or Rolling Stone magazines they would do like the 500 greatest songs of all time and people would go 
Do that and list. Those were always debatable. Like like me and go through and download the shit that they haven't heard of before. And I'm sure that there was a lot of people who hadn't heard of her who downloaded her songs to find out what it was all about. I'm not saying that's how she became the MP3 queen or, it's or king. We'll talk about that. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, but, I mean, yeah. MP3 was the commercially accepted algorithm for compression. Right. Right. And it was free. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, there were, there were other, other generations, but... Yeah, compression. Music, were, yeah, audio compression has been around since the late 70s, early oh, yeah, 80s. Absolutely. Okay. Right? It was MP1, uh, MP2. Yeah. But MP3 is what, in essence, transitioned us into the digital age. Yes. Right? It's the most commonly in wild. Right, it exactly. Did. Yes, yes. So, uh, actually, the direct predecessors of MP3 are OCF and PXMF, um, which pretty much directly killed the use of CDs. But unless you're earnest, we're not going to geek out on that. So, we're going <laughs> to leave that one alone. Don't forget about Laserdisc. Yes. Tommy's going up there on the wall of yeah. uh, uh, Peter Tosh, I think. Yeah. While, yeah. I, while I was researching for this, I went down a three-day rabbit hole on music compression, and I don't understand anything about music compression, <laughs> but now I understand quite a bit more. So, um, But anyway, so uh, this is where this gentleman named uh, Karl Heinz Brandberg comes into the story. Uh, obviously a, not an American gentleman, uh, but he been working on digital music compression as far as back as 1980. Uh, and again, this is where I learned that music compression had been around that long. I didn't know that. I mean, I thought we were working in this sort of technology, not until the late 80s, early 90s, but apparently this dates back way longer than what I thought it was. Um, so around the same time that Suzanne was kind of doing things too, right? Early eighties. Uh, so they yeah. sort of, you know, very distinctive lives, but doing sort of what was going to converge at some point. Um, and actually his research along with others named the original six is fucking fascinating, but way too nerdy for this podcast, to be honest with you. <laughs> I found it fascinating. Is, I that, just, is that possible? I mean, really? It's, yeah. It is. Okay. It is. This is stuff is like dealing with like, I'm like, I don't understand. I read a, a, a full paragraph. I understood three words. Oh, wow. Three words. I'd probably love it. Yeah. Yeah. Ernest will definitely love it. Um, so by 1990, though, he still was sort of continuing to do his work and research on music compression with other scientists at the, I'm going to fuck this up, uh, Fraunhofer Society of Heinrich Hearst Institute. We're going to call it HHI from now on. Uh, and in 93, he became an associate professor there at that institute. Um, so, sorry, I got distracted there. Um, so yeah, in 93... Squirrel. Yeah, no kidding. There's there's so much going on in this bar all the time. So, um, but really, all of that. But all that means is that audio compression allows us to record and replay music while keeping like high fidelity, right? And this is we're going to record and reproduce as true to the original live version as you can get it. Which is obviously over the over the years we've gotten a lot better, but. This is still the 90s. It wasn't the easiest thing back there. Technology was still nascent, especially audio technology like this. Um, that's where we are. And I know I'm kind of geeking out on a lot of this stuff. So y'all just have to bear with me. Uh, but it was him, uh, Brandon Burke, who actually dubbed Suzanne the mother of MP3. But in an interview that I did find on The Great Big News, which is a YouTube channel, he said that he was reading an article uh, while he was working on his PhD that claimed that he had used 
that somebody else had used Tom Diner, the, the song, to test loudspeakers from a CD. Um, so hard as I tried, though, I couldn't find any information on this article that he found, apparently. I've never, I don't know where it came from or, or how he read it or where he found it or anything. But that's sort of what kind of led him to find the song and sort of use it. Um, so this gave him the idea to... Uh, so I used the same song to test his newest compression algorithm, uh, but it ended up being completely destroying her voice. And I know earlier it was too close to the to the recording of the episode, but I did find online a version where he actually plays the original version versus the compressed version in his algorithm and how it how badly it distorted it. It was awful because I heard it. So really? we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll try to um, maybe link that to our, to our uh, social media and maybe put a link to that video so you guys can see it. But it is, it is outstanding how different and how, how distorted her voice was. So after realizing that, you know, this is, this is weird. Uh, he and his team continued to work on their algorithm under the impression that if they could compress Suzanne's voice the way it sounded on Tom's diner and how flawless it sounded to them, they could compress any fucking instrument they could get lay their hands on no matter what it was right they could just do it and they could do it flawlessly uh and about a year later they nailed it they'd been tweaked the code tweaked everything and that was it and then he became the father of mp3s right so that's sort of how that started that's how that that was that was you know the meat of that sort of project for them okay and they used her but apparently it was even a little earlier than him that um that then uh, started using her as a test subject. I just can't find any data on that original article that tested loudspeakers uh, instead of MP3. Yeah, and I tried to like research some of this stuff to find some information to help back you up on it, and I I really couldn't find yeah. a lot. It's like it, and I went on a deep dive for the last two weeks, and it's just not there. Question, not to go off track. If you had a loudspeaker, like a concert type of setup speakers, what's the first song you would play on that shit? To San Vega, Tom Steiner. Was it really? No, the, the really, no, no. Steely Dan. No, I mean, you I mean, both, you have you your favorite. Full I was going, I was going to say, <laughs> a lot of times when you, when you're ringing out a PA system yeah. in a venue, I mean, you're using uh, what we call pink noise. <gasps> I fell asleep to that stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. So. So pink Not noise would kind of be, you know, you know, it would give you a baseline for where you want your uh, TB levels to be. But then, you know, pretty much you bring out the room to what the artist is going to be playing. So it, and, you, and you play all your choice, you know, how they bounce off each other. Yeah, absolutely. So then at that point, it's acoustics and yeah. 50. So you went above our heads on that. Sorry. I get it. No, I actually know about brown noise and white noise and pink I noise. Know. I know about white noise. Well. Yeah. 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 It, I know it, about the spectrum. It actually triggers um, epileptic attacks in you, uh, but not the way you think epileptic attacks. Like it, they help you fall asleep. Like there's actually proven that some of these levels of color spectrum so noises. That's why like people get white noise machines mm-hmm. to help them sleep at night. Mm. Oh, Okay. Yeah, I've tried. Like, Interesting. I tried white noise. That was too harsh. I tried brown noise. It was nah. Pink noise was great. Pink noise was like I use so flawless. I didn't even know there was a pink. Mythbusters. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. Sorry. 
So lastly, well, I, again, earlier I said that I believe most of us know Susan Vega from Tom's Diner. We really don't. What we really know is um, a remix, uh, the most popular version of her of her um, uh, of Tom's Diner is by a British electronic duo called DNA. Uh, and they released it in 1990. So what they did in essence was overlay Suzanne's original acapella version from her album over Soul to Soul's Keep On Moving, which is a great song unto itself. Um, they also took the last bit of the song, which was the da-da-da part, uh, and they made that the actual hook of their melody, right? So they didn't just kind of do the acapella. They just kind of took that that last little bit and made it the hook. You know, I'm shocked. I have no idea that that was... Soul by Soul. I yeah. It just now, I didn't know that either. I now hear it. I'm like, holy shit! I yeah, yeah that's crazy. Yeah. Because yeah, uh, Javier sent that out in our group text today, and I was like, I no, no clue. Makes sense. I you now can, I hear you know, it. Yeah. Once you yeah. hear yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Which is a great song by itself, actually. Yeah. Oh so, my yeah. god, such yeah. a great song. So yeah. Let's listen to this for a second. I love the song. I am sitting in the morning at the diner on the corner. I am waiting at the counter for the man to pour the coffee. And he fills it only halfway. And before I even argue, he is looking out the window. So I think the way it works so great is because the timing of her, um, the way her lyricism works and the timing of the beat of the song match flawlessly right like like a mashup now nowadays we have mashups back then we didn't have mashups right right this was and maybe this is the beginning of a that. mashup this would be a mashup right not a remix this is a mashup because it's not like they're taking bits of the soul to soul song they literally took that soul to soul song and sampled her voice over now it wasn't easy because assembly back then can only take a few seconds at a time but to continually overlay that song over and over and over well they didn't have access to the technology we have now right well, they, they took out some of the longer pauses that she had, that more jazz timing, and made it more right. electronic. Electronic, yes. Yeah, that's what this is. Exactly. Yeah, you're exactly right. That's what this is. Um, so, then, without permission from Suzanne, the label, or anybody else, they just went on to release this song on their own, and they called it Oh Suzanne. But the coolest part of that story is that instead of AM, Suzanne Vega, or anybody else suing them, they just went and bought the song and released the damn thing on their own. <laughs> that version of the song peaked uh, number two on the UK singles, number five on the US Billboard Hot 100, as well as charting in the modern rock tracks, Billboard RB, hip hop chart, and all the way to number one in Austria, Germany, Greece, and Switzerland. So wait, wow. she, she, she sued them? No. Okay. They bought the song. They released it as a collab between DNA okay, and right, Suzanne right. Vega. Okay, so right. the song. So she got paid. Yeah. Okay. Oh, good. I, 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 hopefully, probably. Yeah. I hope she got paid. And bought it. So. Yeah. Yeah. She has these credits. Yeah. It's it's DNA with Suzanne Vega or featuring Suzanne Vega or something like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm assuming that if she got credit, then she yeah. definitely got paid royalties or whatever. Yeah. You know what? I own both. On vinyl, I'm gonna steal this for you. Very no, very soon I'm gonna do a very good. Oh no, remix. no, I'm gonna steal it first. I'm gonna do no, no, no. Uh, okay, 
If you come here for vinyl night, which we're going to eventually have at some point. <laughs> Someday. You'll hear me do a remix of both these songs oh, on vinyl. Yes. Yes. I'm down with that. All right. I'm not too shabby on the, on the turntables. So, we'll so since this has come out, uh, there's been a variety of covers and remakes. I mean, come on. I mean, that, that song is It's been flawless. sampled like a million awesome. times. Yeah, I actually had to ask my daughter. Recently, I remember there was a... Um, uh, something on the radio that covered it, and I had to ask because I didn't. I don't know. She's like, "Oh, apparently it was." Um, fuck, I forgot now. And it was a, ba- a band that I thought it was emo, and she's like, "Oh no, they're not. Well, they used to be emo, but now they're not emo anymore." Oh, I think My Chemical Romance no, sampled no, no, no. it. No, no, no. no some, some one of those. Bands. It was, it, but it had a name like that, like like Stabby Death That Stabby Something August stabby or something. Me, I don't know. It, it was one of those emo. They started out as an emo. Death, <laughs> I'm gonna cry death, in a death corner. Death Cab for Cutie. Maybe. No, no, I don't know. It was no, something like that. No. She told me. I have to yep. ask her again. But again, I think the most popular one uh, was uh, Georgia Marauder, uh, which actually features uh, Britney Spears in, in, in oh. the vocals in 2015. Uh. Uh, there's been a wide fucking range of like samples and remakes since then. But 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 I think that one's the one that made it to um, you know m- most of the uh, of the pop culture phenomenon, the Britney Spears Georgia Marauder version. Fallout Boy. Fallout Boy. That's what it was. Oh, Thank yeah. you, Google. Yes, Fallout Boy. So they they kind of did a sample on that. Uh, but that's it. I, I I was personally very fascinated by the Mother Rampy Three thing. Uh, I had no idea. I mean, I, I consider myself that I know a lot deeper layers of what music things are, but this one caught me completely off guard, and I was pretty much obsessed with it the second I found out about this. Um, I think. I think. That yeah, like uh, maybe if she hadn't done it a cappella, it, it maybe wouldn't have become You're what right. it is. I think if there had been more music behind it, they wouldn't have been able to do right. what they did with it. But the fact that it was a cappella and the way she her voice sounds and her timing and the pauses and all of that allowed them to possibly research a little better. So, don't know. That is my take on it. Uh, unless you guys have something. Else to add? What are you doing this week? What are you doing? I mean, it's only Monday, so we got uh, work. I'm gonna go get some ink on Thursday. Oh, I'm gonna add to my uh, musical arm of tattoos. I'm gonna add uh, "Live Life and Love" Black Flag. <laughs> that was the best patch I ever. Saw, oh, fuck, I saw oh, that. Man. that was yeah. I was wanting to copy that, so I'm just gonna do Black Flag. I'm also gonna do uh, Run DMC on my arm, so it's gonna be just the uh, Adidas logo mm-hmm. with the red mm-hmm. lines on top and bottom. So yeah, it's gonna be fun. Well, I'm gonna be making some beer. We're gonna uh, mash out. Uh, we already mashed in the Mimosa Goza. We're gonna. Mm. Boil that off, and then we've got another. Um, we're gonna do a um, pina colada goza. Ooh. So that's on the agenda for my work schedule, personal schedule. I don't even know. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, we got black tusk. We'll see what happens after that. May might have something going on this weekend. I'm sure I'll end up somewhere doing something. I think mine just relies or go or, or just is, is, is pondering, contemplating uh, Amanda and Jamie, who owns uh, Tommy's peer pressure to start brewing again. So 
Yeah, that was that was Jamie's peer pressure. Yeah, you, you did not help. You oh, were, yeah. you were, you oh, I, I, I encourage that behavior yeah. for sure. And and I'll come help you. Yeah. Speaking of brewing, I have everything I need to brew my gluten free beer again. So yes. 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 It's going to happen. So when that, whenever it's ready, you have to bring some for I us will. to Hopefully consume. Jamie's, Jamie's cool with it. I, I mean, it's homebrew, so. And I, I've got some yeast that I got from Andy from uh, Armored Cow. He swears the beer will be, be ready in like three days. So, all right. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll just have to. Yeah. And, and if we can't consume it at Tommy's. We'll if have to we, do a podcast at Biggie's House Craft there, maybe. Or maybe we can do a homebrew episode at, oh, at, yeah. at my house gal yeah and then we can drink your beer and brew more beer yeah that'd be fun yeah brewing beer is always fun well the key to brewing beer is not drink beer while you're brewing beer because you forget what you did ernie is telling us to <laughs> shut up <laughs> all right so we're gonna um, we're gonna we're gonna call uh, it a night javier Dipped out to the bathroom. He had to go pee pee. So I, <laughs> he had to go pee pee out of his wee wee. So we're gonna have to wrap up this episode right. on her own. <sighs> All right, jeez. Oh, I need an adult. Uh, so yeah. Uh, and thanks again for joining us. Make sure you give us a like and a follow and subscribe. Follow us on the Facebooks, the Instagrams, the uh, Our email address, send us any yeah, shows, the suggestions or questions at Imbibes Podcast. There we go. Thank, Thank you, you, Ernest. Thank and you, the Ernest. email is at gmail.com. There we go. Please do not send us nudes. Wait. Send those directly to Eric's speak, personal. Speak for yourself. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. Um <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Anyways, all right. Bye, guys. Adios. Thank you so much for joining us again. We'll see you in another week. A huge shout out to our gracious host, Tommy's Pub. Located at 3124 Eastway Drive, Tommy's Pub is a small neighborhood bar that's big on music and community. Go to Tommy's Pub's Facebook page where they regularly provide updates about upcoming events to include weekly open mic night, karaoke, and live music from some of the best up-and-coming bands in the Queen City. Thank you, Tommy's Pub, for hosting M-Vibes Podcast.